G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. I'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Kate Jubb from Hopkins River Livestock and Kelpies. Kate will be picking who she thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro high energy food for working dogs with real king roommate. Hey Kate, how are you going? Good thanks, how are you guys? <laughs> yeah, good thank you. Good thanks, how's your day? Yeah, not too bad, long, but we're here now. <laughs> That's it. So we'll jump straight into it. Um, do you want to start off telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and yeah. What you do? Yeah, sure. I am from Hexham, Victoria. Um, I previously worked at a Angus stud, but now since I've had my baby, he's two now, um, I am casually there and I casually work for my partner at Hopkins River Livestock. Um, so, and then I, we also lease 800 acres here. So I sort of just divide my time up evenly between doing school runs and farm work and wherever I'm needed. That's it. Where, where do you catch time for a break in there? Yeah, too much TikTok anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so where did your um, passion for livestock and working dogs come from? Um, so I grew up on a dairy farm and then my parents moved to a um, they were, we owned a dairy farm in Tassie and we moved over to Victoria in about 2000 and mum just bought a Kelpie for the dairy cows and she really enjoyed it. Um, so we got more dogs and got into trialling and um, yeah, so I just developed from there and then I just sort of, we moved to a sheep and beef farm and I just, you know, just goes with it when you grow up there, you just love it. Yeah. And did you ever consider doing anything else? I did. I did try to go to uni for a little bit, but um, yeah, it turns out I don't love studying and I'm not really good at managing my time between drinking and studying. So. <laughs> uh, and so the question here from um, Jono Pillow, what do you enjoy most about working dogs? Um, just watching them, like what a dog can do is unreal and how they anticipate and move and you know, move their bodies around to break and um, and I love working cows and watching dogs be able to read and go in and hit them when we're not to is just, yeah, amazing. Another one here from Ollie Hansen. Best piece of advice you've been given about training dogs? Um, oh, that's a good one. I feel like um, Greg Prince, I did the Greg Prince school when I first started out back into dogs. And it was, if a dog doesn't work for you, like move it on. Don't feel like you have to stick with the same dog and make it work. Every dog, yeah, suits everyone. Yeah. No, absolutely. And on to some stock killing stuff here. Have you noticed, a, and obviously you've been around stock for a long time there, have you noticed the change in stocking techniques over the last decade or so? Yeah, I have. I Sort of going, like, coming back to it now, like being a contractor, I feel like a lot more people have done dog schools and stock handling schools, so it's not so much yahooing. People are learning to get flows by using their dogs and using pressure, and it's, yeah, really good time to be in the industry. Beautiful. And, um, sorry. She's got glasses on. <laughs> too busy listening to you. Um, so first dog, other than your mum's Kelpie, was your first dog? Um, I sorry, <coughs> I had a little Kelpie too. He was given to me because it's a bit that softer type of dog and he just taught me so much about dogs, about, you know, 
not putting too much pressure and working with them. Um, and he was a nice little paddock dog and did quite well. Taught, my first trial dog got me around a few courses and, yeah, probably taught me a lot to start off with. And where did you pick him up from? Um, I think he, that's a good question. Uh, he, sorry, he was from, uh, he's a go-getter dog actually. Mum had him and, yeah, she obviously felt sorry for me and gave me that dog to train. train. <laughs> <laughs> you have a preferred style or type of dog that you get along uh, yeah. with, or I feel like now I've gone to a dog with natural presence. I like a dog that you know gets pretty much as a free go because they don't have to work much. They stop, just move off them, and you know, a bit upright and prepared to be a bit positive. Has that changed? Uh yeah, it has. So when I come back from uni, I went to contracting with Mitch, and I probably had a real pushy yard dog that didn't like wanted to keep going and moving and probably a bit of a thug to be honest um so mm -hmm. that's where i started and this is where i'm at at the moment yep and what about what you've got around at the moment a bit about your current team um i have a fair variety in the team because i yeah work a heap of different stuff well, not heap but like lots of different places and different stocks so i have tiger who's probably my cattle dog he's a nice strong type bit silent um you know just walks in nice and calmly then I run with Brutus, so my thug, my um, sledgehammer. When things aren't yeah. going exactly how I want, like he's a doggy pull out and just gets a job done. And then I have his son, who's a bit nicer than a sledgehammer, um, but he's an up and coming one. And then I have Cruz, who I just take for every job and just, you know, probably isn't quite a sledgehammer, but gets a job done a little bit nicer. Yeah. And you breed, um, you guys breed a few pups there or for yourselves and whatnot. What are you looking for in your own line? Um, it all depends, like, what we lack in that time. So all my breeding done is Mitch pretty much does all my breeding. Um, there's lots of discussions, probably heated discussions at time. But um, <laughs> I look for a nice calm dog, that bit more all-rounder that they still have to do in the yard, but they can do it outside where Mitch likes a um, a wound dog that really, you know, gets it moving. And that's the kind of job he does all the time. But the two don't really complement each other, so it leads to some really interesting <laughs> So, obviously, you guys were a fair bit of different terrain at times. Um, what type of country do you mostly work on and do you require certain types of dogs each or are your dogs getting around most of it? Um, we, well, most dogs do most jobs. Like in where we are, it's pretty flat country, so it's pretty easy mustering and it's a lot of laneway. So, they're probably more, you know, probably more yardy type dogs or like positive dogs that, you know, you literally can drive in the paddock, drop a dog off and, you know, you meet your dog back at the stop at the gateway. Um, yeah, very, probably the easier type of country that you could work. Yeah. And having a different array of dogs, first dog still the one that you learn most of or is there some another dog there that's been more influential for yourself? I feel like Cruz um, has been the, you know, be all to all my learning. Like, um, yeah, he learnt, like has taught me so much about stock flows and, you know, sometimes he casts out and I'm like, what are you even doing? And he'll bring another little mob to me or, you know, do what he does. So he's probably taught me a little bit more natural dogs and, you know, how to trust and, and you know, probably goes a bit of training, a bit of experience too that I um, learned, probably close my mouth a bit more. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about how did that come about? The close, learn to close your mouth a bit more. Tell, tell us a bit more about that. Um, I, I were a few dogs, and you know, 
thinking that well, I know best and this is how you do it, like Mitch will probably tell you I'm a little bit of a control freak. But, um, you know, when dogs start doing things <laughs> for themselves and, um, yeah, then I can work out that I can play on my phone and I'll do the job for me. It's worked out quite well for me. <laughs> and, and do you reckon that's made like a, a change on your relationship with your dogs just in general, even away from work? Yeah, I feel like I'm not at them as much and I'm not, you know, niggling and, you know, they are the dogs I probably have now compared to when I first let's say, left uni probably when I was about 18, 19. They're a lot more biddable and, they're, you know, they're easy to get along with so they don't need a lot of harassing and they're happy to do it if I ask them to go that way. They'll trust me and still do the job and I feel like I don't have to fight them as much. A little bit off topic, but what were you studying at uni? Oh, animal and veterinary bioscience. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I didn't realise I really did not like science. And, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a fun experience to learn, but, uh, yeah, costly one. Yeah. So, what, what, what's it all that about? Like, what, in a nutshell, what, what's, that, what's that consist of? What, what's, it, what's it about? Uh, so we're like doing like just studying like a basic was chemistry, a bit of zoology, which is really um, interesting. Um, we're doing a bit of maths in there and just, yeah, it was, it was really good. But um, also at the time, Mitch and I first got together. So I had a pretty draw, big draw card back to come home. Yeah. yeah no, that's fair enough. Is, is there a dog someone else's owned that you'd like to inherit or, and why? Um. Yeah, Travwear has Lacey. Um, she is just a ripping little bitch. She just does everything well. She reads stock. She still does in the yard. She's just, yeah, um, a dog that I've seen multiple times and I've always liked her. Yeah. And what do you think makes a good sheep dog? A dog that. Sorry. And compared to a good cattle dog, obviously having that dairy background. Um. Oh, I guess, you know, a good cattle dog has to be a bit strong and silent where a good sheep dog can have a bit more noise. I'm not saying, you know, a good cattle dog doesn't have noise, but, um, you know, I just find what I've seen, like when I work my, um, I work on the Angus stud, um, my better cattle dogs, you know, read a little bit better. They know when to put that pressure on and take it off where probably a little bit the same as the sheep dogs, but um, like I compare Brutus to Tiger, Brutus will happily move big mobs into yards where Tiger can't. So I probably use them as the difference of what a good cattle dog is compared to what a good sheep dog is. Yep. What a solid all rounder. Um, yeah, I do think there are plenty. Um, we probably don't get to see plenty, like just in the trialing world, but I generally there would be lots out there that can do every job. But I guess everyone's definition of an all-rounder changes. I like to see dogs do be, you know, a well above average in all aspects where some people should say average is okay for all-rounder. So it all depends what your definition is. Yeah. And heading ability? Well, let's, we hear a lot of different um, takes on people love heading dogs. Some don't as much. They find they're always fighting them. But it's, what's your go? What's your take on that? Oh, I think a dog always needs to, you know, have some kind of head, heading ability because you don't want your stock to get away. But when you're sort of around a place like we are where, like, it's laneways and small paddocks, it's probably not as more essential as it is probably New South Wales and bigger farms. Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> you're all right. 
Take your time, no rush. We're all, we're all sweet here. We've got as long as you need. You have to throw down a uh, lozenger in a second as well. <laughs> Could be a long night. <laughs> what about a, a natural cast? How important is that to you guys? Um, well, probably not as, again, probably not as much as it is into a bigger like area farming for what we do. Like I said, our paddocks are probably about bigger one would be 100 acres, maybe a bit bigger. So they still need the ability to cast that. But, yeah, again, not we don't need huge casting dogs where we are. Yeah. You mentioned a bit. Sorry, what was that? I was going to say Mitch likes to call this God's country. That's why we need little paddocks and, you know, more stock and his stuff on it. <laughs> Actually mentioning that, that's what I was just going to say then. You mentioned before that sometimes Mitch and yourself have some heated discussions. Are they more so about styles of dogs or breeding or the way you work stock differently or can you talk us through that a bit? Oh, we have lots of heated discussions. Um, we probably work stock very similar. Um, before I, um, when I met Mitch, Mitch didn't have any dogs. So um, it was quite funny when we went there, he was watching get some sheep and I said, oh, Mitch, um, I could show you an easier way to do this. And we showed dogs and um, an interest. I'm sure that didn't go down well at first. Yeah. Oh, when I, I used to film him catching sheep too. So, um, yeah, a lot has changed. Um, but, yeah, Mitch and I, um, yeah, because we I work probably more on the paddock, he works more on the yard. So we just generally like different type of dogs. Um, yeah, he loves a good yard. I really appreciate it's a good yard dog. Um, where I can appreciate it but probably don't want as many in my team. And, you know, we just, you know, all have different opinions though. And I like to stir the pot a little bit too, which makes it fun. Never. <laughs> you, you have your trials at home and uh, who comes out on top there? Oh, trials at home. Because um, all my family trial as well, so... Uh, which is very yep. very lucky but um we do have some really good um yeah looks on trials and we told them here and on young dogs and opinions and we all get along but it, it generally is a good day when we do it all together yeah is it is it always dogs in the household or is yeah, there other things that's in limelight as well um we're all a very competitive bunch there is um there's nothing that's not a competition um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it always dogs, or there's uh, yeah. away from dogs? Uh, no, it's usually all dogs. Like, we do play other sport, but I feel like um, dogs are probably where their main fire is. Uh, that one's a bit that one, that yeah. question's been asked. But that's cool. Um, you mentioned like a bit of a dog. You mentioned um, your dog that's quite a silent worker on cattle. Do you prefer a bark or do you like that silent? What are your takes on that? Uh, it all depends on what job I'm doing and how it's going. Like I, when I work cows and calves, I probably like that generally more because, you know, that doesn't bring that drawback. But sometimes when you get to a gateway and, you know, no one's looking for a lead and you have that bit of bark and you create a bit of movement, if it works, it works in my opinion. Yeah. Awesome. Caught up with you guys at Drilldry this year, and obviously um, auctions are taken off, taken off throughout the country. Do you, do you have an opinion on on auctions, where they're going, where they could end up, what it's like for the industry? 
I think auctions are great. I think it's the fairest way to put your dog in so you know what to value. Like I'm very bad at valuing a dog and what it, you know, is worth to me compared to what it's worth to someone else. Um, I think it's a very fair way. Um, and, I, yeah, it's a good way to advertise all the dogs too. I think it's yeah, very good for the industry. Yeah. Hey, you've sold a few dogs. Have you bought any? No. Um, that's not saying we haven't looked, but um, we sort of have enough trained dogs at the moment that, yeah, I know enough people that we can sort of see people privately. Yeah. And how important is identifying natural strength in a pup or young dog compared to building it with age and experience? Um, I'm generally drawn to st the stronger type of dogs. I like a nice dog that walks in and um, there. And so to me, that's a dog that I would generally pick, but whether I always pick it too much of it. But I find it, quite, yeah, I'm drawn to it. Yeah. And what age would you normally start a pup? Um, I like to put them on when they're about, you know, 10 to 12 weeks to see what they've got, just not even like start, but just to see if they've got any natural instinct and, you know, I'd love seeing a pup, you know, get around, get eye. Um, but, you know, I might not start training it until it's maybe four, five, six months old, depending on the pup. milestones or expectations those pups have to a certain time? No, not really. Like it sort of just all depends on as I've, you know, had a few dogs now that it all depends on how the pup is developing and what, you know, every dog's different. So I don't really have any goals or, you know, what they have to meet. Yeah. And how did you pick your pup out of the litter? You mentioned four, like those, those forthcoming ones or the sorry types. What's, what's your secret handshake when you're picking a pup? Do you know what? I usually get the leftover between Mitch. Like this is another way I hate it as come out. Um, Mitch <laughs> does the breeding. Um, he picks his, and then I, I don't know, whatever, whatever I sort of like off stock to probably takes yeah. a lot. And then if it's strong and that nice string, they're probably drawn to it. But and saying that doesn't work every time. Dogs, you know, develop so differently, and you think you've got this superstar, and it grows up, and yeah, you're a bit heartbroken. Yeah, but dogs are that. So sorry, Daniel. You said there you pick a dog that you like off stock. What happens if it gets to a certain age and you love it on stock or and hate it off stock or vice versa? Um, I think the most important, like I've got to like the dog. Like I've had, you know, a few dogs that have, you know, all the natural ability, but I can't get along with them. And I feel like I'm gonna grow up to not like that dog and we'll just butt heads too much. So it either goes to Mitch and he decides whether or we, you know, sell it on to someone. But um if I do like the dog off stock, it probably hangs around longer more that way because, yeah, yeah, it bites and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get one of those that you don't like and it just hangs around and you're just like, I really don't like you. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, you're not that bad. Yeah, I feel like Mitch, oh, yeah. Mitch has an older dog. He's right now and I've like not liked him. And every now and I work, I'm like, oh, this is a really good dog. And then we come home yeah. and back to liking each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much time do you put into training a dog or is most of it done on the job or how do you go about that? Um, it all depends on like, you know, probably when the dog's born and how much time I have to how much training it gets. Um, you know, like if it's in the summer months, I'm not as busy. So the pup, you know, dogs get probably a bit more training then, but no set amount of time. A lot of it is done on the job. Like I sort of like to start them, get a basic set of basic like pull commands, like, yeah. I hear and come so I can pull them around the stock and then take them to work. And if they're working out, I might train a little bit more and 
just sort of, yeah, there's no set routine or anything like that. And how do you go basic stop on your young dogs? Um, probably very similar to everyone else, that pressure, like of just blocking it up and asking for it to sit. Um, I do like to try and teach my dogs off stop to sit. Um, I find it easy when I put them on. Um, some dogs I haven't done that with and it's, you know, hasn't made much of a difference. But generally speaking, I find it a lot easier to do it off stock and then bring it on stock. Do you do much off stock work with your dogs? Yeah, I think for me and what I do, the handling off stock is pretty much just as important and getting that bond and getting that, you know, coming to you rather than having like not having that and fighting with it on stock. And that just seems what's worked well for our team. Yeah. Question here from Mark Mangold. In relation to temperament and work styles and abilities, what are your non-negotiables um, in relation to your dogs? Um, non-negotiable. Uh, I don't love arrogant dogs um, or sooky dogs. So I probably, yeah, if a dog is soft in the temperament, I find it really hard to get along with. Like I feel like they have to work for you. Um, probably in my time of working a dog like Cruz, I found that dogs that bat for you are so much better than dogs that work for themselves. So that's probably where, yeah, that um, really working for you temperament, like the trainability again, is mm -hmm. yeah. where, where I want to be at. And it becomes part of liking the dog as well, right? And you you got to like your, your workmates. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I just think having a dog that works for you is better than having three dogs that are slaves for Yeah. And when you have a young dog that you're not not exactly liking, how much do you how much trust you put into the breeding behind it? Um, oh, it all depends on what the breeding is. Like if it's a dog that's slow to mature, that I know that's what I've bred, I'm prepared to wait around a bit longer. But if I don't like it, then um, yeah, yeah, I feel like there's someone else who's going to like it, and then, yeah, that dog for itself is better off with someone else. Obviously, you guys are doing a fair bit of contracting at times. Um, do you refer to work your dogs in the race or alongside the race and why? Uh, a bit of both. It all depends on the setup. Like if some of the setups you go to, some are great. Um, but if you, if I can, like if it's a long race, like working the dog outside of the race, like the dog can go longer, it's not getting hit. Um, yeah, if I can outside and, you know, look after that dog a bit better, I yeah, generally do. Yeah. And talking about looking after your dog there, what's your what's your setup for when you guys are, are showing um, pups, sheep, and um, do you like to start in a controlled environment or do you get them going around and take to the paddock? What, what's your preference there? Um, I like to sort of start it reasonably controlled, like we just use one of our backyards at our, um, at our place here um, yeah. and just sort of see how we go from there. To just gauging off what the dog's doing and age and if it's got legs under it or not. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like if a dog just taking everything in stride and going well, then I sort of go out a big bigger area. But if it's struggling, then we sort of stay in that control environment so I can, you know, get on top yeah. of anything that's going wrong. Um, back to the race before, how do you go about teaching your dogs to work the outside? Um, just excitement. Like I generally do have an older dog who's doing it and then once a pup learns, that's that's like a lot of fun they eh? so just go with it and yeah go from yeah. there sorry i'm just reading a couple of different questions here i went to ask one and i got halfway through reading it and i actually realized i already skipped on to the next one i was reading <laughs> half of the next one again so um 
how do you, we were talking a bit about cast early, um, and I think we mentioned about a dog that would go out way too far. How do you um, encourage breakout and then not having too much breakout, like you, like you mentioned? Um, I'm still, yeah, I'm still learning. So um, previously, like when I said I have my older team of dogs, they did not have a lot of breakout. So, um, yeah, just putting the pressure in the right spots and, you know, I've done a few dog schools and just learning little things from every person and what works for each dog that I bring out, um, yeah, whether it's adding a bit more pressure, getting myself in the right spot. Um, but as far as dogs breaking out too much, I'm still still learning. <laughs> Actually, that, that's interesting in itself. Like, you know, you've got a stack of experience there, your partner, your family, and you're still doing dog schools. Where's How does Kate Jubb make her own style? Uh, I'm not sure if I have my own style, but um, learning, like every dog school you go, you just learn so much. Um, there's so many people with so many good experience. Um, the one I've done is a Jake Nowlin school. I've learned so, so much. He does things a little bit differently to everyone else, and I'm trying to implement a bit of that. Um, but whatever sort of works for each dog and what works for me, and sort of when you learn something, like something, you sort of learn it yourself and then try and, like, show your dog what you learn. So it's a really good way to keep your motivation up too and improve yourself and your dogs and, yeah. Do you ever find yourself trying something and go, oh, it's not exactly working or I could probably get this going better and you go, oh, wait a minute, oh, mate, done it like this and then go, yep, and then you use that and you go, oh, no, and another person done it this way and just bounce around? Yeah, I do that all the time and I'll be doing something. I'm like, I swear he did like this, like, why isn't it working? And that's really good why, like, you know, I'm lucky to have my little sister, my brother-in-law, and my partner and my mum and we all like oh well, this like we can go back and talk about those all ideas that you learn and you can like oh this is how we did it so it's a good way to like help you orient you know keep the information in house and just yeah use it to the most beneficial way. Yeah. So have you had any like influential people help you get into it and like you sort of modelled some of your training off? Yeah, uh, I've had lots of internal people because I yeah, started so young when most people like, you know, had sporting heroes. I had dog trialing heroes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was a bit of a nerd that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when I first got, you know, obviously Joe Spicer was, you know, a big hero and he's helped me out lots and my mum's helped me out lots. But probably in the most recent years, like Trav Ware got Mitch and I back king to dog trialing. It all started when Trav Ware played football for um, the Warren Do and, Mitch, that's boys do. They're in the shower having a few drinks and mentioned that, um, you know, he trained dogs and Mitch's love for dogs came from there. So Travis has helped us out in so many ways. Um, so he's been, yeah, a really big part. Not that I tell him that very often. <laughs> <laughs> that's not real football though, right? <laughs> no, no, apparently not. <laughs> um, question here from Rick Freeman. What signs do you look for that you may have to put... Sorry, my eyes aren't. Uh, what signs do you look for that you may have put a little too much pressure on a dog? And if you think you have, what's the strategy, really how long to give it a break for? Is it important for a dog to be able to take some pressure up to a point, in your opinion? Um, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Um, usually, you know, dogs are like showing you signs that they don't want to be there, that I've probably overdone it for that day. And depending on the dog, whether, you know, I just try to encourage and get them back or some dogs I just put away, you know, for a week or so and I don't do any stock work with them and let them sort of think about it. But um, it's really important that dogs for me can show they don't want that much pressure because if a dog can take 
heap of pressure. Like you have to look in there how fitability it is. And um, yeah, that's a very good question actually. And then Adam James has asked, how much training do you think a dog needs for you to get the best out of them? Do you think it's 50-50 training to instinct? Yeah, I think 50-50. Like um, instinct's probably just as important as training. Like, again, like I'm not that I'm in control for anymore, but you can't speak as much as quick like to read stock. So I think that, yeah, it has to be 50-50 for me. Yeah. It's got a few coming through here. Yeah. Um, so another one from Rick is, um, I think you, I think I know how you might answer this, but how do you judge the ideal distance your dogs work from their sheep? Oh, well, yeah. How depends on where their sheep are going, doesn't it? Yeah. Is there an ideal thing? Like it all depends on your stock and what they're doing and... All depends on the day. Yes. How fast you can ride a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're on foot, if you're travelling along, and yeah, uh, works at a yeah, different that's pace. Right. Depends how much you want to get home. Yeah. All right, you want to go that one there? Okay, yeah. cool. I can't see this as much as you do. I need my glasses. Yeah. Um. Oh, how many? How? Oh, excuse me. How? Uh, how many pups would you guys um breed in, in a year? Is it more so just for yourselves? Uh, we breed probably two to three. Um, yeah, probably for ourselves. Like we always like to keep a pup out of every litter just to see how it's going. But, um, you know, being contractors, we do get a bit of demand who, you know, want some yard dogs. So, yeah, it all depends what people want and what we want. But we always like to retain a few pups to see what, the, what where our breeding is at. Yeah. And what are you guys considering before doing a joining? Um, it probably depends on what bitch we decide on a breed or what dog um, and sort of see what her faults are, what her strengths are and then go through to what the, you know, dog strengths are and faults are and, you know, we're trying to breed for that middle perfect or runner but we all know how hard that is to get. So we'll try yeah. to look in the middle and try to get a consistent litter, like whether they're going to be paddock dogs or yard dogs but, you know, we want to breed like a good quality line of dogs. And so when you're doing that, are you looking more breeding or traits and workability and are you matching what are you matching up the breeding or the traits or both uh both depending on what you know what's available to us like we do in western victoria are like quite closed off so we do have to send dogs away to get them made and so it all depends what what yeah what we're after like i i love the breeding side of it matching it all up where mitch probably is more traits so we yep. sort of compromise through there and you mentioned there that um you guys you know, have to sometimes have to send away for other dogs. What um one is what are you looking for? Well obviously what I know what you're looking for the other dogs you mentioned that but how are you how are you finding these dogs? And then when you're finding them how how are you rating their works? Obviously you you're not exposed to seeing them like fairly often, right? No. So this is again which is um forte. But um, for a while, we I wanted to add a bit more um, stamina and work ethic to my dog. So we um, talked around and we ended up putting um, Jake Nolan's RM over there, and that's what it did. So for that, you know, for that, what we want uh, trait, we what we wanted, and sort of what that. So it's about you know going to dog trials, seeing that the work in a trial situation, and then talking to a few people and you know using other people's opinion and sort of getting some videos and judging how you, we think what's going to the outcome's going to be of using to what bitch 
almost um almost like a footy replay watching the replays and go so did you see this and <laughs> see a bit of that dog and like different things and yeah no we um spend a, well mitch spends a lot of time watching dog videos um yeah not so much me but yeah he lives and breathes dogs <laughs> I, I can relate to watching videos back and forth all the time and are you just seeing those desired outcomes um oh sorry those desired qualities in those pups that you're aiming for by doing those joinings yeah generally speaking like um the ones we have, like you know sort of all through our teams are the dogs that the joining that we have um all through you know my young sister's team where you know we can put dogs to see how they come so you know don't get me wrong we've had some massive fails too but um we've had some pretty good success and there's a question here from amanda dunbar it sounds like your team is predominantly dogs do you find bitches harder to get along with um no yeah my dog team is i think i do have a few bitches i haven't mentioned um i don't know why i just seem to always get stuck with a black and tan male and not that i object <laughs> to it, that's just sort of why and do you have a criteria that a bitch needs to meet um to be able to breed from her um not a criteria but all our bitches have to be working like we don't have any bitches that don't work yep. um yeah so they have to they have to be able to hold a spot in our team and be useful to us on, yeah on stock yeah um question here from rick freeman um what fault in a dog or bitch would you overlook and continue breeding from or does a dog or bitch have to be almost faultless for you to breed from them i don't know if any dog's faultless um oh it all depends again what um like if a bitch is a little bit weak i'm happy to deal with that long as she's, she's smart and still gets her job done um but you know if there's plenty like plenty of faults like my dogs bite a little bit much i'm happy to overlook that and put a muzzle on them so yeah we, we do have lots and lots of faults like everyone in their dogs <laughs> uh, i say there's no perfect person out there and i was looked at Laura, I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> that's a bit you're, weird. You're, now. You're, a good, you're a good mate, you're all right, you're all right. But no, everything's got a fault, doesn't matter what it is, right? That's right. One fault to someone else is, uh, is, is something that other, yeah. other people are looking for, so exactly know. right. It all depends on your job, doesn't it? No, absolutely. And in your while we're talking, um, about faults or, or just in influence in general. Do you believe that a sire has more influence over a litter over a bitch or vice versa or? No, I am one of the people who believe it's 50-50, like, you know, I can get two sets of genetics and yeah. yeah. I put just as much as important as my bitches as I do with our dogs. And uh, moving forward, is there any particular traits you and Mitch are looking to put into your dogs? Yeah, I think we're looking to probably put a little more feel, like we are predominantly yard dogs. So, um, yeah, so we need to probably start sacrificing a bit of yard work to get that probably a bit more natural outside dog now. Yeah. yeah cool. And have you guys um, experimented with any AI? No, not yet. So we did freeze. This is how I um, actually found out my cruise was infertile because we did put some semen from AI. Um so we tried to um, join Cruz for a couple of bitches. Didn't work, so we took him to get him collected to put away just in case something did happen. So we did learn that he was infertile after going to a repo vet and it was um, diet-induced. So if I can give any, you know, information out to anyone is to talk to the repo vets about um, what goes into your dog. Yeah. Can you, can you touch on that? Like what? Yeah, so... Um, 
The diet that I was feeding him was um, quite high in protein. It was a grain-free diet, and so he had too many um, legumes, or supposedly. So this is only suspect. So this is not proven. Yep. Just my what my um, vet had told me that um, anything that produces a lot of estrogen um, not doesn't affect all dogs. So the, uh, not all of my dogs went infertile. Thank goodness. Just the one that I really wanted. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So. At this stage, it's irreversible because, yeah, it's pretty much killed all his sperm. Um, I am working with um, a few other people and trying some things, so we're still hopeful. But, um, yeah, my advice is to talk to your vets about your diet of your dog. And if it does have, um, you know, your chickpeas and your legumes and whatever that could, um, high protein that could have this issue, like what can you do to prevent it pretty much? Um, because it is known in, from what I've found out, it is known in the pet dog world that this does happen, um, but it hasn't been talked a lot about in the working dog industry. And what are you feeding these days then? What sort of diet? So I've actually moved over to Enduro, so we're still on dog food and, you know. Oh, there you go. There's a plug for Enduro. <laughs> <laughs> been fantastic. It's been balanced. But we are we do feed a bit more raw uh, now, but um, no. I'm still lazy. We still, yeah, still dog food yeah. and enjoy. But dogs looking good. Have had no repo issues. So fantastic. Exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, any advice you'd give to someone going to pick their furs up? Yeah, find a breeder that works. You know, has a similar job to you and likes dogs and similar temperament too. Like we all like different amount of pressure. So find someone who's similar to you and talk to them, do your homework. It's, yeah, like everyone said, do your homework. Why do you think that's so important? Is that through personal experience or um, just things you've, you've seen out there? or? Um, probably not personal experience. I like to try lots of different dogs, so I'm prepared to get whatever I get. Um, but if you're just starting out, like you want your first dog to, like, you know, it's one you put your most time into and it's probably a special dog, isn't it? So get one you like, that'd be the easiest thing. Yeah, that doesn't have to be the one that's plastered all over social media either, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that not enough people actually put emphasis on having a look at, um, they, they see a dog they like, but have a look at the handler. Yeah. They go, can, can I mimic that person? I'll be close enough to it. Like, can I carry myself like that? Can I handle this style of dog? Well, um, the time for the same amount of training as them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, see a lot come through and, um, yeah, people go, oh, yeah, no, it's this and that. And then the dog runs away on them in a nice term and then it's always the dog's fault well wait a minute you made a decision to purchase this dog to start with it, maybe it's not the dog or the breeder's fault like ha have a look at where you're going and where you want to be and and start down there so i think that's some really good advice that you've given there yeah and yes you said you do we do see it a lot especially in the trial and you're like it's really like a, it's hard to see a dog and see how good the handler is and try to get a you know indication can i do that with that dog and exactly like you said like it's probably the most important advice i would give someone is to really talk to the handler yeah great advice so how long have you been trialing for you said you started at a young age yeah so i started when i was about 12 um did a few trials and i think i stopped about 15 like weekend sport kicked in and yeah like i said when um Mitch met Travis Ware, he dragged us back in and haven't left us in. So, yeah, about 2017, I think that was. Yep. And have you got a preference of type of trialling you like to do? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, 
yeah, a little bit chicken don't do much else. Um, but I went to the SSD this year and that was a fantastic trial. So it has given me the motivation to get my butt out there and do a few more. Yeah. And why do you trial? What do you enjoy about it? The social side, like you meet so many good people um, and you learn so much. Each time you go out there, you watch them at work and you pick up so many things from whether it's breeding, whether it's training your dog, it's how you work your stock. I just really like learning and that's been really big for me, just being back in there and being around like-minded people again. Definitely. Uh, we just had a question come in here from Rick Freeman. Um, are dogs that never started to strong-willed dogs? Sorry, I missed that question. Um, are dogs that never quit harder to train in the first place as they are strong-willed? Uh, they can be. Um, yeah, I feel like some of the dogs I have, um, yeah, that don't quit, but not necessarily. Like I feel the like dogs are batting for you that don't quit for you um, can be just as um, like easy to train and, yeah, still be there for you rather than the ones that like to, yeah, really fight it out with you. Yeah. Well, cool. We'll jump back into some trialing talk. That's cool with you. Yep. Um, obviously, been around for a, a couple of years, still young, but been around the scene for a long time. How has, or down in Victoria, how has um, yard trialing changed, if it has at all? Um, I don't know if it's changed that much. Um, I think there's been lots of people come in and out with different ideas. So probably, yeah, I've probably missed a lot, a large bit of it, but. I don't think it's still the same basics. It's still allowing for that you know, nice positive dog to come through and but still not a you know, crash bash ton of dogs. So, yeah, it's still the same. And, and can you pick up some of that finesse for training and apply that back in, in the workplace? Yes, definitely. I think one thing that I noticed coming back into trialling that how much better my dogs are because I, you know, not they sit when I say sit, but they I can place them wherever I am when I am. Put them in those spots to get those flows. Yeah, trialing is yeah has been really big for my work. I think. Yeah, and you guys obviously do some travelling to get to those trials. Um, how far do you guys travel, and how far are you willing to travel? Oh, we've been everywhere. Um, yeah, we've been to Western Australia, been up to Armadale, we've been to Tassie. Yeah, um, I don't know if anywhere is too far. We've been pretty <laughs> to it and pretty lucky to be able to go. Uh, question here from Tim Hall. During the recent Australian Championships, was there a dog or dogs that stood out to you? Um, yeah, um, Bocco Wonder has been a dog that's always stood out to me. And again, like he's been a really solid dog um, in that. Um, that's probably the only dog at the top of my head I can think of. Yeah. He's been always been a favourite of mine. Yeah. And obviously you're over at Australian. What, what makes a good trial to you? Um, probably the setup. Like, um, that's, you know, got to be be able to complete it, but it's got to be tough. Like, I like trials that are generally tough that, you know, that not all dogs can get around, that your, you know, your more practical dogs are getting around. Yeah, you really got to work for it. Yeah, yeah, the tougher yeah. trials I really quite enjoy watching. And do you have a favourite trial to participate in or one you'd like to? Um, I quite like um, Denny Trial. It's always a good favourite of mine, but um, Sheep Vention's always nice and tough too and always really cold, but, yeah, good trial. <laughs> and what do you feel is your best achievement so far? 
trialing achievement? Um, or a memorable know, I moment? Feel like, oh, um, well, I managed to win the Open Up of Australians at Armadale's. I feel like that for me was pretty big. Um, I was pretty happy how my dog, yeah, and, you know, that I managed to put two runs together about, yeah, losing it. So uh, that was yeah. for me, it was pretty big. How did the banter go on the way home? Oh, the banter is always high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mitch always likes to remind me what I do did wrong and, um, yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> it really makes you humble. Make, yeah, really humble. Yeah. <laughs> so do you experience nerves and if so, how do you handle them? Oh, yeah, I get really nervous. Um, I haven't really worked out how to handle them yet. Um, I'm still learning. I think I've got a little bit better. I think I try. I breathe a little bit more now in trials because I've learnt that I can't hold my breath for long periods of time. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm still learning. And travelling um, throughout, you know, the whole country, you obviously still see a lot of inexperienced handlers. Where, where do you think um, inexperienced handlers struggle with, struggle and where can they improve? Um, probably one thing I've noticed is probably if people who don't get to work stock as much and probably similar to when I first started out, controlling your dog too much, like ask too worried that your dog's sitting or not coming behind you or doing those things rather than sort of watching your stock, over commanding and, you know, probably overthinking things a little bit too much. Yeah. And how do you think they go about helping themselves get better at that? Time and like I did learning how to close your mouth, yeah. like that's a really big thing and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, doing more trials and just learning that for yourself. Yeah. Some masking tape. Yeah. We often hear debates, you know, that, you know, trial dogs don't make good work dogs. What, what's, what's your take on that? And off the top of that, what makes a good work dog and what makes a good trial dog? Um, this is a like, it's a lot around my area and I don't know why. It makes me quite angry. I don't know why. I think it's around because we can, like, trialers can control their dogs. They, you know, somehow misguide that with that their dogs can't work on their own. Um, generally, like, you know, a good work dog is a good trial dog, like, that just being finessed a little bit more. Um, and, you know, most, you know, most trialers that are, who are doing quite well are working on farms. So, yeah, I don't know how this has come about. Do you ever see or come past any trialers that don't have, great access to work and you go shit that's a good dog yeah yeah there's plenty um i only have pets i got good pets i make really good pillows gotta stay warm right it's turning in the winter <laughs> yeah so they are right, just, we have to bag daniel out that's every okay. chance we get sometimes <laughs> No, a good example a good example is um, Lisa Kennedy. She um, has just, you know, hit into open. She's done so fantastic, but, you know, doesn't work stock like we do, but still can read stock and do everything on the go and trialling. That's it. Um, question here, sorry. Rick Freeman's come in with, do you think that the cars should be longer in yard and even utility trials? Um, no, yes and no. Like, it all every trial is what you know the convener can set up so i don't know whether we should you know if the convener can make it longer than make it tougher then yes but remember conveners can only do so much in a trial yeah what advice would you give to someone that wanted to pursue a career in the livestock industry 
Um, get the same, like do your homework, like, um, you know, find someone who wants to teach you and have a good attitude that you want to learn. Yep. I like that advice. Um, who would you like to see come on Dog Talk? Um, I would really like to see Jeff McDougall. I have learned so much for him. I love talking to him. Um, and Jake Nowlin, like, he is, yeah, done so much fantastic things for dogs. Yeah. And I'd love to hear from him. Great. Two people on our list. Yeah. Uh, actually, back in the Jake on the weekend. So, Jake, you're listening <laughs> out there, mate. Come Jake's on. always give, listening. Give me a call. Um, We've actually powered through a stack of questions here tonight. <laughs> You're just like the Terminator. You just hooked in proper. Really appreciate that. Was there a question asked tonight that stood out to you and um, that uh, viewer will win a bag of Enduro Plus uh, working dog food? Um, yeah, Rick Freeman asked a really good one at start um, about pressure for dogs. I thought that was really yeah. good. No worries. Rick, you want to um, send us your details, mate? And um, we'll gets um what's the one there sorry we just got one other question coming sorry. through at the desk <laughs> nikki west has asked what advice would you give to someone wanting to come into trialing um do dog schools do talk to people um yeah social connection is probably the best thing because then you've got social support at trialing that would be yeah my best advice yeah yep. and rick has been on fire tonight and he's asked What's the best breed of sheep to train with? Uh, merinos. Yeah, merinos. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and why, do, why do you like merinos? Um, oh, look, I don't like composites. I yeah. just think they're mean and they're nasty. So, yeah, I'm a merino person. That, awesome. So, um, Rick, can you send us your details through, please? You win a bag of Enduro Plus. Kate, you're also going to get a bag of Enduro Plus for being a guest tonight. Really appreciate your time. No, thank you. But you're not going to get off that light. <laughs> One last question. Uh, would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? I've actually spoken about this a lot, and I think <laughs> I, would, I would fight the duck size of horse because I feel like it's going to be a better story if you win or lose. Yeah, I do like that answer, actually. Everyone loves a good story, right? Yeah. Horse will be a size of a giraffe before we know it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Kate, thank you very much for your time tonight. I know you've got a pretty busy household there. So uh, really appreciate you setting some time aside for us. And all the listeners for tuning in with their questions. Always great to see everyone on. So thanks again. Thank you very much. And please remember, we learn every day. And the day that we stop learning for each other will be a sad one. Thanks, Thank Kate. You. Thank you. Good night. Bye.